If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a mysterious invasion, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to what details of the way an Oblex works can we bring to the surface? And how can we give them darker motivations than to simply consume memories? And how can we bring it all together in a horrific adventure that keeps players off balance? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So first of all... I want to mention that this is the beginning of us diving deep into monsters because we want to do a monster month in honor of All Hollow Tide. <laughs> okay, <laughs> number one, I've got a few notes for you. N- n- nobody calls it All Hollow Tide. Whatever the to, fuck that means. <laughs> trying to honor its origins a bit. Oh, okay. This and- year we're going to hand out soul cakes and perform our divination rituals. <laughs> oh, are we? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was not privy to these plans. <laughs> Maybe we need to have family meetings a little more often. But I do need to call out that maybe for celebration of All Hollow Tide, I'll buy you a calendar because we're about a week early. Well, yeah, you're right. It's a little early, but it's never too early to start going down the dark paths of your own mind. (laughs) Well, yes, I mean, if the average department store can start celebrating Christmas three months early, then... I mean, fuck it. Halloween, here we go. We're doing some monsters. Yeah. And when we turned to our wonderful patrons, uh, we got kind of a resounding, like, doing Oblex. And the Oblex did exist in my mind, and I had been familiar with them, but I hadn't looked at them in a while, and I was reminded of all of their juicy, juicy horror details that we're going to get real deep into in this episode. It's another one of those monsters that you can very easily just, like, flip past in the book and that's why it's so easy to just be like whipping through that monster manual going no 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 (laughs) no not for this adventure but the oblex is one of those creatures that you can very easily just flip past and not realize that it is absolutely terrifying it is baked right into the best of john carpenter's dark imagination Yeah, it's got some serious The Thing inspirations, and it's got some Invasion of the Body Snatchers going on. You've got a little bit of the blob because it keeps reproducing itself. Like, it just keeps going on and on and on. And so why not kick this thing off with an Oblex? Yeah. And the final reason that I was super excited is, you know, when you're running a game and you've got some idea of a monster that you want to fit this hole that you've created in your game, but you can't quite find it, well, the Oblex is that for me. So it's going to my next game. It was the perfect fit, and I'm super excited to talk about it. Now let's talk about the challenges of an Oblex. Because, A, they got that blobby kind of vibe, so it's difficult sometimes to... Think, what is this thing's motivations? How do I accurately portray a 
monstrous ooze that is thinking and feeling? Well, the thing is, it's not actually just thinking and feeling. It's a hyper-intelligent ooze that can speak any language of the people that it's consumed. Like, it just goes on and on, and then it can make duplicates, and holy shit, there's a lot to an Oblex. Yeah, and you definitely have to sit with it and think through its behavior a little more thoroughly than you know, throwing a giant spider at your party. I could very easily see this Oblex falling flat if we hadn't sat down and really kind of mulled it through. So let's go do just that in the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so Oblex, Oblex, Oblesi, as Will pointed out, is probably the plural pronunciation in our Discord. Huh, Oblesi, it just, it seems to work, rolls off the tongue. Oblady, Oblesi, (laughs) anyways. You're gonna get your brain sucked out. (laughs) Well, Oblex are oozes, and they were created by Mind Flayers, because... Of course. <laughs> what other monster within the D&D sphere would create such a horrific creature? Yeah. But the Mind Flayers couldn't really control them. Okay. They kind of went rogue. And apparently the Mind Flayers still use them from time to time, but that means that there's a whole bunch of loose... It's like when somebody doesn't quite like their cat and they just let them go be feral somewhere. Well, not just that, but they first ramp that cat's intelligence up to un- <laughs> beyond human levels and then let them go feral. Yeah. Go go be hyper-intelligent and make babies and, uh, you know, just generally cause a nuisance. Honestly, I think that should be our next monster episode. Just a hyper-intelligent cat. That terrifies <laughs> me. Stalking you through the night. Yeah. So an adult Oblex is a standard... But you've got weaker and tougher versions of the monster. And we'll do our usual recap. So starting off with some of their stats, they've got a strength of eight. Pretty, pretty low. Yeah, but they make up for it with a 19 dexterity. They're slipping and sliding everywhere. And a con of 16. Their intelligence is 19. It's a staggering number for the mind. That is an unreal number. Let's let's pause on that for just a moment. On the intelligence scale, you've got wild animals that are around a four if they can start to understand languages and yeah, things like that. Yeah, that's a like smart that. one. That's a really smart animal. Yeah. And then you get up to around average human intelligence at 10. So what the hell is a 19? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, anything that's got 19 intelligence is spooky. And then they round off their mental stats with 12 wisdom and 15 charisma because they are tricking you every chance they get. They've got to have a high deception for this to feel just right. I mean, it's talking you out of that sexy person you've been eyeing up at the bar. You're losing tonight to an Oblex. <laughs> All right, interesting. That's the scenario we need to run. Yeah. <laughs> a romantic competition with an Oblex. <laughs> I would love to see that, and wow, what... A dig. The party bard is never going to be able to get over losing to an Oblex. (laughs) (laughs) The skills they're coming in with is that high deception and perception. 
hard to get the drop on them. Because they're an ooze, they're immune to being blinded, charmed, deafened, exhaustion, and prone. So <laughs> good luck trying to do almost anything to this thing. It just sits there and takes it. It's got 60 feet blind sight. Very hard to sneak up on them. It's amorphous. So it can move through spaces larger than one inch. Without squeezing, it says in the rules. And so I take that to mean it can jam itself through smaller openings if it needs to, but slower. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh oh we're in trouble. Yep. I mean, especially with this next point, that it has an aversion to fire. This is the thing. Oh, yeah. Like, the, that's all that they were trying to do is replicate <laughs> the thing. And it's got some spell casting at its disposal. It can cast each of these three times a day. Charm person, color spray, detect thoughts, and hold person. So as soon as it thinks you're onto it, it's charming you. It's holding you. You're not doing anything you want to do around an Oblex. This is absolutely terrifying. Like, this leads in to that psychological horror aspect where we can start to lean on its ability to just dominate your mind. Yeah. The last little piece here is that it's got sulfurous impersonation. So it extrudes pieces as a creature whose memory it has stolen. So it appears, feels, and sounds like the person, except it smells slightly of sulfur. So it can create all of these different people. Here's the thing. It can create 1d4 plus 1 different people simultaneously. This also is going to come into play in a little bit. So, so each one of these perfect duplicates, yeah, including all of its memories yeah. and its personality, can exist simultaneously, and it can create multiples. Yeah, there's no crack in that deception, except for its slight hint of sulfuric smell. Your whole family can be reproduced. They just simply smell a little bit like eggs. <laughs> exactly. It knows about that time you scraped your knee and farted. <laughs> knows everything you know. And each of those duplicates has a slimy tether attaching it to the Oblex's main body up to 120 feet away. That tether can be severed, in which case that duplicate simply disappears. So that's it. Like, it doesn't do damage to it. It can create as many of these duplicates as it wants. Yeah. It's just a tiny little tether coming out of the bottom of their foot. Yeah, it just vanishes whenever it wants. And how does it get the memories for these duplicates, you might be asking? Well, it's got an ability called Eat Memories. It targets a creature it can see within five feet of it. This is a very important detail, meaning that it doesn't have to touch them. It just stands five feet away as your sweet old Aunt Petunia <laughs> and sucks your memories out. The target must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or take psychic damage and become memory drained. You've got to finish a short or long rest to get rid of the memory drain effect or have greater restoration or heal cast on you. And the memory drain effect is that the target must roll a d4 and subtract that from any ability checks or saving throws. That's a bummer. Kind of like exhaustion mechanics. You're just a little bit worse at everything. Each time that same target is memory drained, the die size goes up by one. So the d4 goes to a d6, then to a d8, until it gets to a d20, where they go unconscious for an hour and kind of reset. They lose the 
negative effects. So here we go. Aunt Petunia is probably not your aunt. And Aunt Petunia is walking around doing pretty good, seemingly. But another one, she's she can't even hold that cast iron pan. Yeah, she's failing her checks. So who do you think is the fake? Probably the one that can't handle butter anymore. So then you go and you clock Aunt Petunia with her cast iron pan. <laughs> now she's down for the count and you go in for the kill, except it's actually your real Aunt Petunia. <laughs> she's just not feeling so great. The other one's tending their fingers in the corner saying, good. The Oblex has gotten away <laughs> with it again and yeah. you've murdered your aunt. Plus it sucks your memories out as it disappears through the wall, cracks. All right. As we tend to do, let's kind of let's let's separate ourselves from the Oblex just for a moment here. Let's talk about some of the ingredients that are really core to an Oblex and right. how to heighten them in a game. Yeah. Well, the first thing that I think is kind of neat here is that whole duplication aspect that they have. So they're taking over people in a community of some sort. So that causes people to have the delusion that somebody that they know very well is in fact not that person. It's somebody that looks just like them. Something's off. That's called the Kagra delusion. And the way that works in the brain, I'm going to just very loosely cover this. I'm sorry, I'm not a medical professional, but apparently you've got two kind of types of recognition when you're looking at someone that you know. You've got their physical aspects, trigger that part of your mind that lights up and says, yep, I know that person's physical appearance. And then you've got their mannerisms and their personality and all that kind of stuff, their internal recognition. And so the minds of someone that's suffering from the Kagra delusion sees the physical aspects of somebody that they recognize, but not the internal aspects. So it just feels very wrong. That person doesn't feel like the person that they know. That's absolutely wild. Our dumb brains are kind of flimsy sometimes, huh? Oh, yeah. All kinds of things can go wrong. I am kind of curious what this feels like. Do you think it feels more like when you see somebody in passing, you're like, I think I know that person. But this is kind of that flipped on its head where you're like, this is a person that I know, but there's something off. Absolutely terrible, to be honest. Because if you live with someone and all of a sudden you're pretty dang sure that that's an imposter yeah you're not comfortable in any situation fair enough like i kind of pictured it as a lot more soft in terms of how intense that feeling might be but you're absolutely right like if you're if this is a person that you know and love it's not going to be as gentle as this like weird nagging feeling on the street this is going to be like holy shit why does nobody believe me that this is not the person that i know Yeah, I can't imagine much worse. Like that's prying into some of our base fears as people. Like we need community to feel safe. And that's just basically stripping away a member of that community. And that's exactly what they started Invasion of the Body Snatches with. The doctor, in fact, was he thought he was treating people with this delusion until it turns out that there's duplicates everywhere. Yeah. So that's the kind of mindset to portray if like your characters are venturing into an area that's been, you know, infected by an Oblex. People are kind of unsettled. And the problem is that we tend to downplay some of these things as impossibilities. And that's what makes this horror 
is that in this case, the person that's coming across saying like, listen, what everyone believes is impossible is now possible. It is possible to duplicate somebody and to have them not quite right. And so that person is always going to come across like they're having a panic attack or just like they're they're out of control, but they're right. And yes. that's the bit that we need to really <laughs> hone in on. That's the really meaty bit of this is that your players are not going to want to believe the person that's ranting and raving and saying, trust me, that is not my husband. Yeah. And now the players are trying to figure something out. They're, they're of course, going to be suspicious. Because they know that there's monsters in this fantasy world. But... <laughs> exactly. They, they're smarter than that. But I think the trick with the Oblix that I think you can really have fun with is throwing off those players that do know that they're playing D&D because they're going to start going to monsters that maybe they're familiar with, like the doppelganger. There's just so many ways that you can throw them off the scent of an Oblex because it's not one of the more classic D&D monsters. And you can make them think it's a dozen different things before they figure out the truth. Absolutely. So the second part that I want to get into is how the Oblex's memory consumption could work. And that sent me down a rabbit hole of learning about the different types of memory. Yeah, so you've got short-term and long-term, but what, I mean, short-term is all of the little things that we kind of commit uh, to five minutes ago. And then if it's something that we really need, we lock it into our long-term memory. And long-term memory is what an Oblux is num-num-numbing up. Yeah, sucking out of you. So under that category of long-term... You've got explicit memory, which, might I say, I have great memory for explicit. <laughs> Not that kind. <laughs> that means your conscious memories. <laughs> okay. And then you've got implicit. Uh, so unconscious, subconscious kind of things. Right. So what about explicit memory? Well, you've got two types. You've got episodic, which is events that happen to you that you can easily recall the time you scraped your knee and farted. <laughs> okay. And you've got semantic, which is your general knowledge of the world, stuff that's not about you. So you've got, yeah, basically stuff that happened to you and stuff just about the world and your knowledge of how the world works. And I just, I want to I want to go back just a moment because I want to be really clear that Jordan is not referencing an actual time. This is not his subtle way of telling you a time that I scraped my knee and farted, okay? I just want to be really clear about that. <laughs> that did not happen to me. It's not that embarrassing of a thing, though. Okay, uh, but stop explaining it like I actually did it, because it never happened. <laughs> All right, one of us may or may not have scraped our knee and farted. Doesn't really matter. We'll move on. <laughs> Thank you. So then you've got your implicit, so your unconscious knowledge. Right, which there's two types of that as well. So you've got priming, which is kind of the, the thing that your brain automatically does when you hear or smell or see something and it triggers a memory or triggers a reaction in your mind without you even thinking about it. Well, your brain is all about shortcuts. Right. You know, we build habits because it's a thing that we do consistently. And so our brain is just trying to take some shortcuts. Hey, I know what happens next. So priming is really just that brain saying, I kind of know how to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And then you've got procedural 
which is your motor functions, your muscle memory, all the things that your body knows how to do without you needing to sit down and think and remember the steps. Like breathing, eating, skinning your knee and farting. (laughs) Yeah, I've done that so many times. It's just a muscle memory. (laughs) Every time my knee gets touched, I fart. Just a little (laughs) fart slips out. Your body knows what to do. Yeah. And this is how the Oblix gets in there and steals your skills and things like that. So we're finally bringing it around full circle. (laughs) Getting to the point here. Yeah. So an Oblix gobbles up your memory. It's getting all four of these types. They're all juicy and they all have different flavors. But there's a couple of places this makes me go with the Oblix. First of all, it makes sense why it's so smart. Because it's semantic memory. That knowledge of the world is increasing with every memory consumption it knows a different place a different time it has memories depending on the age of the person that it just gobbled up if it gets an elf you've got a thousand years of memories of places that person has been and seen and done yeah and theoretically they like to consume people with higher intelligence so that explains this too like Yeah, I want to gobble up that wizard's memory because he's consumed so much knowledge of the world. You've got this Oblex who may have already consumed the memories of somebody who's met you before. Yeah, that could be real. And another fun place to take this is in those brief moments where you roll a really high insight check and you see something go slightly wrong with the Oblex's performance so let's say for example maybe they're simply messing up a part of that person's memory but it could go as far as confusing the memories of two individuals momentarily like they say the wrong name or they confuse someone's motor functions with another's so they're playing your sister but all of a sudden they've got like an elderly person's mannerisms That's what you catch. So what disturbs me more is the reverse. Somebody who should not be able to move incredibly fluidly like a master swordsman, but is. Okay. You know, like in the horror movies where the old lady is possessed, I forget there was like a truck stop movie where they were trying to defend uh, an old truck stop restaurant against the hordes of hell or some (laughs) shit like that. But this old lady was like possessed and crawling on the roof, but had superhuman strength and shit like that. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Like, this should not be happening. You can do that with these terrible, terrible monsters. And I think it just explains so many of the Oblex's abilities too, because when a creature becomes memory drained, they're supposed to take a negative to their ability checks and attack rolls. So this could be them losing that procedural memory, their muscle memory, their their motor functions just aren't working right. It's going to take a while for your brain to recover from having its memories consumed by an ooze. (laughs) So this makes total sense. Doesn't feel great, that's for sure. So we're thinking about lots of different ways that we can subtly hint to players that something is amiss. Because that's part of our horror. We really want to try and build this kind of stuff up, but in really subtle ways. Yeah. So little things like you were saying... They confuse particular standard aphorisms like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They're saying, if it ain't broke, don't do it. 
If it ain't fixed, don't broke it. Wait, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Oh, I just, I confused that. Sorry. Or an individual that the Oblex is portraying could have, uh, they could recognize some worldly knowledge that you are dropping to your party, but they shouldn't. Like it's a small town farmer and they know about the wizard's towers in the big city. There, so, I like that. Wait a sec. Yeah. All right. So the third one that is worth talking about is just those motivations. What the hell does an Uzi duplicator want in this world? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Well, I think it's got to start with the fact that it wants to consume memories so it can feel a sense of self. I mean, it was an awakened ooze. That ooze had no mind. So it's got a gap to fill. I think that's kind of a fun way to play it. What an awful feeling when all of your brethren are just sliding through dungeons. <laughs> no one to swap war stories with. <laughs> because you've got none of your own. All you've got is the literal intelligence. You have no context for it yet. You got no experiences or history or emotions or... Yeah, you got self. nothing. Yeah. So then what does the Oblex want? Well, I think as soon as it starts to consume memories, which is its kind of instinct, right? Yeah. It kind of mixes in with the emotional desires of the people's memories it consumes. But here's the catch. It feels no morality about them. Oh, I hate this. Yeah. I absolutely hate this. <laughs> you are proposing an Oblex that has the wants and the needs and the desires of the people that it consumes. It's mixing them all together. So it's going to be hard to understand, but it's purpose-driven now, and it wants to get out into the world to do a particular thing. Yeah. Whatever, you know, the strongest desire of those consumed memories might be. But studies have shown that areas of the brain that deal with emotional processing, behavioral control, and social cognition are less developed in violent murderers. Uh-oh. And that's all the things that make us fit into a community that make it so that we can work together. We develop a sense of morality yeah, so that we can get along and tribe together. Exactly. So those are gone. Instead, you've got an Oblex, again, with all of your memories. They don't have the stuff that makes us good, just the emotions and desires. They're basically just a whole bunch of sins wrapped up in the skin and memories of your closest friends and loved ones. <laughs> God, that was a terrifying <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Thanks. I'm proud of it. With that being said, let's get into the horror of the Oblex. This is the Oracle's Tower where gazing into the crystal ball could show you glimpses of potential future adventures. All right, so we need to put this all together into our horror matrix, which we've touched on before. If you're new to the show or this is the first time you're listening, we have a horror matrix. You can download it on our website, hookandchance.com forward slash resources. Uh, and under there is a horror matrix that really kind of breaks down the way to land good horror is to go step by step through a few stages and build horror. Because when we see the monster immediately, it removes all of the horror and now it's just a thing to be killed. If we want to really sell an Oblex, 
we've got to go through each step very carefully and build. And those steps are, we're going to establish normalcy. We're going to start with normal. We need to give a sense that everything is fine. And then we ramp up to a little bit of unease. Then we jump into dread. You know we... something's wrong at this point. Exactly. And then we get into terror. Where something's definitely wrong and it's around the corner and it's about to strike. And then we hit horror, which is where the party finally comes face to face with the monster. So in order to do this, we have to come up with some kind of premise of what this adventure is going to be with an Oblex in it. So Travis and I talked about this and we came up with something real simple. Miners that have been trapped in a deep adamantine mine. An Oblex that slithers through the cracks and has sucked out the memories of all of them. The Oblex wants to lure people here, suck their memories, and probably kill them so they don't spread the news of its deeds. Now, our party of brave adventurers is going to arrive and either be sent into the mine on a mission to maybe rescue some trapped miners. Maybe a one of them is an NPC that they know they need information from, something like that. Yeah, there's lots of different reasons why we can send the party to the mine. And as soon as they get there, much like any good horror story, things start to go a little awry. <laughs> now... As we go through these, there's a couple of different areas of horror that the Oblex really fits into, and these are the standard categories that we can think about. How do we lean in and really sell the horror in each one of these scenarios? Well, we're going to focus on psychological horror, that unnatural horror, which is definitely an Oblex, and then gross-out horror. Just some of that nasty body horror stuff we've talked about before. Which this has in spades as well. So we got all three categories that the Oblex leans really well into. Yeah. So the normal that we need to establish here is that the miners are stuck. It's probably, you know, just an accident at the mine. Something normal went wrong and we just need to get them out of there so they don't die in the mines. It's an important task. Might require some excavation or something like that. We need to really sell that everything was running smoothly until recently. We started to see weird things kind of happening, but whatever, like, we got to focus on the task at hand. We got to rescue those miners. Yeah. You know, whoever's giving them the quest can mention that things don't really go wrong at this mine. It's a pretty safe place. The worst thing that's ever happened is somebody wandered into the mine and hurt their ankle. I mean, let's make this a dwarven mine. Dwarves know how to mine, they know what they're doing. Yeah. They probably have religious safety procedures. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Then we go into unease territory. So maybe when the party is making their way into the mine, it's by elevator. Oh, yeah. A really, really long one. Yeah. Like maybe this mine is known for being one of the deepest mines. Like any further and you're going to hit the underdark. Right. Dwarves are proud of that. We've gone deeper than anybody else. We got that thick adamantine from the core. That always strikes me as a staple of horror is the hubris of <laughs> a particular people. Yeah, yeah, they're just like, we've gone deeper than anyone. <laughs> but should you? You didn't stop to ask why. Yeah. <laughs> and to pop this off, the elevator could break. And that could be what kind of cements this as a horror. They fall down the shaft, take some damage, 
maybe there's even a little cave-in they have to escape from, and you have to kind of make it known that that long shaft they just came up is no longer an option. That's out. I'll actually counter that for a moment. Because you could definitely set that feeling of unease of like, oh no, we have no way of getting back up. But we could actually push this into the dread territory if they successfully make it all the way down the mine shaft and go about their business only to come back and find that a critical piece to the elevator working is now missing. So we're kind of using either unease or dread. But I think this illustrates the very good difference between the two. Unease is that kind of gentle, casual, uh-oh, this is going to be a problem, versus dread of, uh-oh, something's fucking with us down here. Yeah. Like, there's active malice versus kind of passive, uh-oh. I, I think I agree with you from a storytelling perspective, but I just always like to be ready for the characters when I say there's a missing piece from the elevator, they blow up the elevator and cast fly on everybody. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn party. This game would be so good if it weren't for the damn players. They were just playing commoners. We could really run a horror. <laughs> Fair enough. Either way, something's going on with the elevator. And I think it'd be kind of neat in the unease stage to have one of the miners still recovering from uh, an illness, something that maybe they've come to referring to as the sick, which affects your motor functions. Oh, These dwarves might think it's something in the air. They don't know exactly what's causing it, but obviously it's the Oblex's eat memories ability. They could just chalk it up to a methane leak somewhere down there, you know, yeah. like a sour gas kind of thing where it just makes you feel hazy. Yeah, we got guys. I mean, it happens from time to time. You know, somebody hits a little vein and they just don't feel great for the next day or two. Don't light your torches. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a lot to play with flavor here when that ability hits. Maybe it feels like your head is being filled with a thick, oily liquid. The pressure building, then releasing, followed by a, that lack of motor function and a mental haze. Oh, you really kind of put that into my head. The image of like, you know, that pressure headache that yeah. you could get from going up in an airplane too yeah, quickly. Yeah, totally. Everyone's just kind of holding their heads and they're like, oh, yeah, no, this is this really sucks. This hurts. <laughs> It's okay. I'll be good in another hour or two. I yeah. just need to rest or lie down. It feels like my brains were smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick. <laughs> I recognize that reference. Yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide fans out there. So we've got the miners that are all in kind of decent spirits. I think this could be really good to throw players off of the idea that there is an Oblex down here. Because we've got an Oblex that is able to duplicate people seamlessly, yeah. easily, and have them disappear in an instant. So, could all of the miners, to build a little bit more unease, talk regularly about the ghosts in the mine? Right. Because who knows how long this Oblex has been down here? That dwarven miner that we still tell tales of, and he saved a bunch of people. He's like Big John, and he saved the miners. Well, he's been seen recently, despite the fact that that took place 150, 200 years ago, and he's never been seen since. Yeah. We've seen him down a hallway. And when you try to get close... It disappears. The, yeah. 
God, I love that. That's good. Now we've got all the players thinking, uh-oh, this is all haunting. Absolutely. And I also think the unease stage is where the Oblex is going to set up as many advantages as it can because of its big old brain. So like, for example, maybe the last thing that was shipped down into the mine was eggs. None of the dwarves know who shipped it down, but they've got way too many to eat. They've already gone bad and the stink is everywhere. <laughs> He's covering for the sulfur. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I love it. Or maybe there was a water source that they plugged up. When they first made this mine, there was a, a water source that started leaking in. They found a way to plug it. Since they've been down here, it sprang a leak. And then when they went to check, the leak was stopped up again. The dwarves didn't have anything to do with any of that process. So the Oblex didn't want people to see its tendrils in the water. It's, it's oozy tender. Yeah. So everyone is walking around with a splish splash of being in ankle deep water. Yeah. That water is hiding the tendril, but also I would probably estimate that the Oblex itself can move through the water. It's an ooze. Yeah. It doesn't need to make a sound, which means that they're going to be listening for people moving, mm -hmm. and we can lean into that and say, oh yeah, you hear this person coming from around the corner. Building, building, building. Oh, it's just a miner. And now all of the players are knowing, oh, you know, all we have to do is listen for the footsteps. We've got really good perception checks. We've got advantage on perception checks because the water is everywhere. But the Oblex is using it to cover the tendril and it can move silently and create these people standing in a spot. They don't even have to move in the water. Yeah, just popping up. Now this place is definitely to the Oblex's advantage. Now we need to get into some dread. So I'm stealing this scene from The Thing because I just thought it was a really cool concept that works perfectly in D&D. Have the party and the miners find a violent scene in the mines. It looks like somebody was pulverized into a wall of the mine. Ugh. And nobody is missing. That's what's going to... Like, that's how you sell dread. Uh-oh. Like, yeah. we are in deep <laughs> shit. And the grosser we lean into that gross-out horror of that scene, the more we can sell that dread. Yeah. Natural assumption here is that somebody out there is able to, you know, replicate people or fake being someone else. Like, the, the players probably are going to pick up on that threat at this point. They're going to be thinking doppelganger. Now, as players, we don't know if we're dealing with ghosts or poltergeists or doppelgangers or, like, what is going <laughs> on down here? Yeah. Another great scene to add into the dread stage is having those copies come up to the players, like one of the miners that they're starting to trust a little bit or get to know. All it needs to do is be within five feet of them and it can rattle their minds with eat memories and then inquire as to what's wrong trying to help. So we could either do this to players, which I feel like is a little bit risky because you've got a miner and they come up and they go, is everything okay, my friend? We'll be okay. We'll get through this. And they put their hand on one of the player's shoulders. That's the eat memory. They just walk up and kind of reassure you. Now, as a player, they just have to make a wisdom save 
and they take a bunch of damage and like they're sitting there with all of these disadvantages now and you just go you feel really ill yeah now the risk there is that the players might figure out that it was that dwarf that just came up and asked him how they were doing now all of a sudden you got a near combat scenario sure but what if that took place between two npcs and that uh, that second NPC now doubles over and goes, oh, I've got the sick. Yeah. Almost at that same point, you can have everyone huddled up and have it start to affect the characters. Like, I think there's a way you could play with this scene where it's not like, oh, that's got to be the source of whatever's happening. If one of the NPCs there, never mind the potential of five that the Oblex can make at the same time. Yeah. If even one of them is within that huddle of like, okay, we all have to make a plan. How are we going to get out of this mine? We've got to fix the elevator. We've got to get up there. Yeah. They're all huddled around together. That Oblex can start eating memories of pretty much everybody that's in that huddle. (laughs) Everyone's affected equally, and the players have no idea who's responsible. This is going to be fun. And that ability, I got to say, is really well written because you can just keep getting players as many times as you want with this. And every time it just keeps weakening them more and more. It's just such a good way to keep ratcheting that tension up. Like it got me again. I'm weaker. I got to roll a D6. It got me again. Oh, shit. That's well and truly evil. Yeah. I think whenever you feel the need in this stage, you can include moments where at least a few of the other miners, actually the Oblex, come up to the come up to calm the party's fears to the best of their abilities. Like it's probably not going to work but they're just there trying to to calm the tensions that are rising. Well, the thing that really I find quite upsetting about the scenario is the more people that you have that are confirming a particular event or or fears or non-fears, whatever the case may be, the more people that you have confirming that, the more it's going to make the players feel like maybe they're losing it. So... If you have an Oblex who's able to make up to five individual NPCs, they're now the majority. They can say, no, that didn't happen. And now you've got NPCs gaslighting the players. Yeah, from things that you, the DM, just described. Throwing them all kinds of curveballs. And they'll just assume that it's the DM that's messing with them, saying, actually, you didn't see that. (laughs) And here's one more really fun aspect of the dread portion of this game i think the party members can start to find the miners indulging their base desires so this is these duplicates this is the oblex actually starting to feel like these miners so like let's let's just kind of run through a few of the classic seven deadly sins gluttony you find a miner that's stuffing their face to a weird degree with the rations down here Oh, they're eating all of those spoiled sour eggs. Oh, gross. Gross. You've got greed. Maybe they're just basking in some of the material wealth, and this is not the time or place to do that. It's like, we're in a mine. What are you doing in the adamantine pile? Like, you're just, you're... Scrooge McDuck in it over here. <laughs> Stowing it away, <laughs> hiding it in their pockets. Yeah. Like they're going to make it out loaded down with adamantine. Yeah. You could play around with sloth. They're just lounging around in excess. Again, it's like it just doesn't fit the mood. Or wrath. 
You could find a miner that's taking out their frustrations on real creatures that they find down here in the mines. This is leaning in to what happens in every survival horror scenario where you've got a crew. Basically, every one of the crew members has something else that they're going to start to act out on. Like, one guy becomes extra violent. The other one starts to make irrational decisions. And in this scenario, you can't tell if that's the real dwarves, which it very well could be, or if it's whatever is down here messing with you. The party's going to be really hesitant to make any serious moves against any of these NPCs because there's no telling who they might be. How are they going to be? They're going to be digging around in the water that's hiding the <laughs> tendril. They're going to seem like the ones that have kind of lost it. Yeah. So then we get into terror. This is where we really turn up the heat. And at some point in your game, your players are going to have a suspect, whether it's really reasonable or they're just getting fed up and they need to accuse somebody and this person's acting weird. They're going to surround them and start asking them questions. And that person is going to immediately try to evade their grasp. And if the players actually reach out and grab at them, it's a news, remember? So it just kind of like weirdly slips away. Yeah, it yeah. gets through their grasp. This thing has a 19 dexterity. It's probably going to evade any actual grapples the party throws at them. And then it's going to look back and smile at the party as it tosses itself down a deep, never-ending mine shaft. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. So then they're left in this state of, I guess we were right, that was the bad egg, but is it what is it still here? Is it over? Like, yeah. what is happening? I think when they really start to kind of ramp things up, you know, going back to the idea that the Oblex can move through the water without making much of a sound, why couldn't it be shooting up different versions of people that it's already consumed the memories of, people that they recognize, people from the surface, people that shouldn't even be down in this mine? Yeah. I mean, creatures aren't even off the list of possibilities here. An Oblex is smart enough that it could use a different creature entirely. Yes, it's attracted to high intelligence, but that high intelligence says I can get places if I duplicate myself into a deer, a beautiful baby fawn. What is that doing down here in that mine? Yeah. This is the kind of like terror of why? And that being said, it can also make messed up versions of those people. Why couldn't it why couldn't it create a version of one of the people that you know and love, but with a melted face or something like truly horrific? We can start to really mess with them here. Right, because at a certain point, this thing knows that the best tactic might be to just shake people as much as possible, terrify for the sake of terrifying them. Like you're saying, you could start mix and matching those different forms of memory. So you've got, again, your loved one that's now on all fours running around like a wild dog and like running up a wall and running into the walls, disappearing. Nope. No. You I, can. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm stopping you there. No, I'm not done. Because then you could take it the other direction. You could have a giant spider crawl up to you and start speaking in the voices of those in your memories if you've been subjected to this eat memories. 
Oh, hell no, thank you. <laughs> it could happen. Just saying. Okay. We're done. We're done now. We're done with that. I could keep going. No, no, we're done. I think the final point here is that if the Oblex gets every character with its memory-sucking abilities, it really doesn't have much of a reason to stick around. It's got what it wanted. It's fed, so to speak, and it might just be trying to get rid of the evidence. Yeah. I mean, it's always going to be a little bit of a dicey proposition when there's two versions of somebody walking around a world. Now it's a race against time to stop the Oblex from either caving in the entire mine or flooding it with the aforementioned uh, blockage that the miners stopped. Yeah. And now the Oblex is just straight up trying to kill them. Exactly. Things are a lot more dire. One more classic horror scene that I think you should pepper in if you can is the whole, you've got multiples of the same person, you got to figure out which is the real one. So oh, no. you have to do that scene. Yeah. But with an Oblex, you can, you know, add a little spice to it because if they get one of the party members, let's say the barbarian, then they can duplicate that barbarian not once or twice, not even thricely, but up to five times. So now you've got six barbarians standing there trying to prove which one's real. The Oblex is just there to mess with you. Yeah, this is going to be real dicey and literally because I think at this point, if the player starts trying to prove themselves, so you've got five versions of one of the players at the table as the sixth, anything that that player now says, you just roll a dice and tell the players which mouth it comes out of. Yeah. You're not getting into this one with clever wordplay because these things know everything you know. So all of that bullshit of tell me something only I would know does not work. Yeah, I think this could be a really fun, really tense scene. And then we ramp it up to the final reveal, the horror of the situation where you got to fight and kill this Oblex. Now the Oblex is just going to rise tentacles everywhere out of the water this is that horror moment this is what we're trying to sell when the players finally have to fight it with swords and magic and good <laughs> luck yeah but the tricky bit here for the party and for you really because you have to try to get them here is the oblex won't come out it has no reason to just show itself so the party's going to have to start getting clever. The party's going to have to lay a trap or something like that. And if you've laid the clues, they'll know that this thing likes to target individuals. It doesn't love going for the group. Yeah, I can't really see this thing as being like a five on five kind of fighter. Yeah. So, you know, the party might have to choose someone to be the bait. The last person that hasn't been got. <laughs> Ooh, that sucks. You'll have every opportunity in the world to show them that pure force is not going to work on a creature that just slips through the cracks. And so, like we said, another thing that really strikes me is that a lot of horror leaves you on that unsatisfied, uncomplete feeling. This is that, you know, the hand comes out of the ground and you know that it's not over. The horny teenagers managed to kill the monster, but it's still out there somewhere. So that uncomplete feeling, the feeling that we're not safe, 
can really be attained by letting the Oblex get away. The Oblex is done. Very true. Maybe the party's goal is simply to escape. And when they do, they've won, but they haven't defeated the evil thing that was down there. They know that there's a creature out there with all of their memories. They know exactly who their family members are <laughs> and where they fucking live. Yeah. Uh-oh. That's not great to leave in a hole. So good luck running an Oblex in your next game. I hope you use this at some point during the Halloween season, because this could be so, so good. Yeah, I hope something here sparked the right idea for your game, and you're just as excited as I am to run it. You can thank the twisted minds of our patrons who suggested this horrifying monster, you dark, dark, evil bastards. You degenerates. Alan E., thanks for being our newest patron. Felix R., Chris F., I see spiders where there are none. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. Tyler G. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldrus. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you all. You're all so special and sweet and heinous. Heinous that you suggested this monster. I'm not going <laughs> to sleep tonight. Love it. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Feel free to reach out. Tell us what other Halloweeny monsters we need to cover. You can join the conversations happening about monsters and all kinds of other juiciness on our Discord. Join the players and DMs there. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and don't kill your Aunt games. Petunia. <laughs> no matter how suspicious she's acting. <laughs> Too late.